Welcome to Hyphenation, episode 39. Starting this episode out a little bit different. You'll hear your traditional Hyphenation intro here shortly. I have my fifth guest on this episode, and that guest is my father, Daniel Conley. Now, what happened is I went home about two weeks ago to visit him. We were sitting around all day on Saturday watching college football. I looked at him and I said, what's it going to take to get you on the podcast? He said, how much do I get paid? (laughs) So I said, I have a couple dollars in my wallet, but uh, if you accept debit cards, I'm sure we can work something out because dad's a big old jokester like that. Uh, Then he asked me what we were going to talk about. So drew up a rough little list of ideas and we sat down on Sunday morning before I planned on leaving and, and just got into it. And... It's probably one of the more fascinating interviews I've ever had because, honestly, I feel like I said little and just let him talk about his life. I believe... Oh, no, nothing's going to compare to the episode 38's three-hour opus. <laughs> I was going to say, it's one of this is the longest episode of Hyphenation, but it probably was before I finished episode 38, which is the greatest MCs of all time. Oh, that was a monster effort. Pat myself on the back there. But I just talked to Dad about... Well, I'm not really going to go into the overview or a summary, because you're going to hear it here shortly. Uh, But it was really good to sit down with Dad and and just kind of chop it up, (laughs) so to speak. And I got to hear stories that I never, ever heard before. Like, you think you know everything about your parents, but you don't. Uh... I actually rewatched the first season of Master None. I watched the parents episode where um, Brian and Dev have dinner with their parents and they learn all kinds of new things about their parents that they never knew uh, just from sitting down and talking to them. Because it's like, yeah, you've grown up with this person. You've known them your whole life, but you don't really know them unless you ask. So I love this episode. I can't wait till... uh, uh, Lord willing, I hope to get Dad on here for another one. And we're going to go ahead and get into it. World's Greatest Podcast, Hyphen Nation, episode 39. November 5th, 2017. You're listening to Hyphenation, the world's greatest podcast. I am your host, Kellen Conley. And today, I have a guest. A very special guest. One that would not would not be here with me if he hadn't done something about 34 years ago. <laughs> I have, I have uh, Daniel Conley on the show with me today. And in case you haven't figured it out, Daniel Conley is my father. Uh, well, welcome to the show, Dad. Well, hello there, Mr. Conley. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing good. Doing well. Thanks for being on my show. Yes, sir. Uh, so I came to visit Dad this weekend uh, just to get a little downtime, so to speak. And I've definitely gotten that in. Heading back home to Morgantown today. But I couldn't leave without trying to get him to be on the show. 
So, and he, he graciously said he had time in his busy schedule to uh, to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll be making gag signs over there. We gonna get right into it though. So, first question, Dad: Who is Daniel Conley? Daniel Conley is just a normal person. He he was so fortunate to be blessed. To be in this world. Bottom line on the whole thing. Nobody special, just another one of his soldiers on this earth. And that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, so you were born in Winchester, Virginia. Winchester, Virginia, 1950. 1950. Spry, 67 years old. As you were climbing on the roof yesterday, cleaning gutters. Like a badass. <laughs> and I still haven't gotten my picture from that venture either. I, I got the pictures. I will give you the pictures. No, got, you don't give them to me. You send them out. You know, this is high-tech stuff. I, <laughs> I'll go to Walmart and get them developed. And then I'll, I'll mail them back to you, Dad. Just, I, just I so it can take a little longer. Way, I don't think that's the way that we do things nowadays. You just uh, put them on the messenger messenger and you send them out don't you yes you don't have to put I will them, put them in messenger I just want to see myself up on the roof in black and white since they don't let people on there <laughs> he's talking about this little Facebook thing I got tagged in that says it's a black and white challenge and the only rule is you can't post any pictures of people and the photo has to be black and white and, and so I, I took pictures of him on the roof yesterday and he was like He's like, post that for the black and white. I'm like, I can't. You're a person. <laughs> but you can post puppies. I can post puppies. Yes. I but can post not puppies. People. I can take a picture of the clock or the TV as long as there's not a person on it. <laughs> I suppose. All right. So, about a month before I was born, your mom passed away, Helen, correct? Yeah, she, oh, yes. Um, and thus, in fact, it was Christmas Eve. Oh, goodness. So, 82, uh, December 24th, 82, then. Uh, yes, because uh, I was also, I was supposed to do a performance. I was a DJ at one time, and I had a performance at Duff's Rebel Restaurant the evening that she passed away. Hmm. One probably one of the most difficult things I've ever encountered trying to perform with a weight, a very heavy weight on my shoulder. How long did you find out before you were supposed to go on that night? That evening. It was the same. It was that evening. Okay. So you could have you could have backed out technically if you no. wanted to. No. A contract. It's oh. a contract. And there's money involved. Oh, yes. Okay. I, I see. My goodness. Yeah, I never knew that. So, my name is Kellen, obviously. And you always told me that you came up with Kellen because of grandmother. Indirectly, there, there were two reasons. Winslow. So, I was named after Winslow a little bit. But without the extra L. L okay. That's all. And then her name was Helen. Ellen. Ellen. And then I became Kellen with one L. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, taking it a little bit back, you went to school at 
the prestigious John Hanley High School in Winchester, Virginia. At Hanley, you were one of the top running back scat backs in the region. How did you first get into football? Oh, wow. Football. Football started for me, in actuality, in the sixth grade. And the only reason I went out for football in the sixth grade was because I was too heavy, so to say, for Little League. You couldn't be a running back if you were above a certain weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like Pee Wee and stuff, or no, past I'm Pee-wee? talking little. I'm talking little league football. Okay, they, there were weight restrictions for playing certain positions. When they told me I couldn't be a running back in little league, I said, "Well, I'll play Pee Wee football with the seventh graders." Uh-huh. Well, there it started. Mister Jack Duvall. Um, Knew that I was going to be a running back because I knew I was going to be running back. I wasn't going to. Always your favorite position? Uh, yeah, because of the Jim Browns, Paytons, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. All back at that, in that time, I wanted to be a running back, and that was where I was going to play. I didn't would not have gotten that opportunity playing in Little League. Yes, I could have waited and, and become a running back later, but that's that wasn't my mindset. Okay, so you've told me some some war stories as far as Hanley goes. Um, what what was your kind of routine to to get ready or stay in shape for football, or did you do anything special? Was it just natural talent? Like, like can can you kind of take me through that, Dad? I think the majority of it is the fact that um, being that. In that period, there were no such things as training camps. Mm-hmm. But my training camp was at Douglas High School, participating with, at that time, they were the juniors and seniors of the uh, Douglas High School football team. And I was merely a pawn for Coach Barksdale, back then, he would have the smaller kids. We we could go out there with them. There were no rules or regulations in. Right. They'd be practicing, and if we wanted to play defense, that's the only place we could play as the kids. Right. Uh, we played defense. And one day... I was playing defense against the high school kids there at the high school. And George Carey, he was the quarterback for the football team. Noah Laws was his primary receiver, and they were practicing. And I was a defender. I I was nothing more than a place, a target for George to throw over to get to his receiver. Right. Well, I was getting my hands on so many of George's passes, passes that it, it was just kind of a natural thing. And that was on the defensive side. Now, upon upon hitting, getting my hand or deflecting so many, George wound one up to throw to Mr. Laws. 
and it broke my finger. I never had it set. That that was that would become my um, crutch, so to speak, to play football. Because I I started my um, my first season in pee wee football, which is seventh seventh and eighth grade in high school. I played with a broken finger. Never, like I said, I never had it set. It's still not set to this day. Did you tell Di? Tell him why would I tell Di? I don't know. Like, hey, I broke my finger. Oh, you may want to tell him who Di is. Di is my grandfather, Cornelius Conley. Uh, no, I put it in. I put my hand in my pocket, and that's how I carried it. I didn't take my hand out of my pocket unless I needed my right hand. And you're right-handed. And I'm right-handed. <laughs> oh, I, could, wow. I couldn't lay my hand down the right. Because obviously the joint was it was oh, jacked oh, out. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's jacked out. It's still jacked out, but it looked worked. like Gordon Hayward's ankle. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite like an ankle. It, 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 yeah, I, it just was out of place. It, it, it was definitely out of place. It, it still has the scar on it where it split open and broke. The bone was not protruding, but yeah, as you can see to this day, it's still broke, did you dislocated. After, did you go after that quarterback after he, he whizzed that in there intentionally? You don't go after, no, I, I wasn't that big. You, I, you, I wasn't, wasn't, you was pissed though, right? You was a little mad, or no? No, it was all in the game. You weren't, no, I, you didn't take did. offense to it. No, he didn't do it on purpose. It, you said he, he cocked it back. He could, he, he had a would, gun. He had a gun and a half. <laughs> Oh my, yes indeedy. He he threw like rivers. Throw rivers, mm -hmm. is that correct? Yes. Yeah. He threw then like rivers throws now on a line. Frozen with, rope. With heat. Mm. Okay. So you're practicing with the bigger kids. So that was your, your training, essentially. So you hit you hit Hanley. Did, did they even try to put you on the JV, or were you, or were you always on the varsity? Couldn't you couldn't play JV in sixth in the uh, seventh grade? Well, I mean, once you actually are at Hanley, so what? Tenth grade Hanley? Uh, tenth grade first year. Uh, it, it's the old school way of thinking was I'll get my turn. Okay. Well, my turn came in my sophomore year. You know, mm -hmm. there was no such. Yes, it was. There was freshman football. But I went from seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Mm -hmm. I was, I was on varsity because of, at that time they had disbanded. If I remember correctly, there were no ninth grade teams. Other schools there may have been, but I don't remember playing ninth grade football for some reason, which would be JV. But wait a minute, now that can't be right because I did play JV football. You only played three years in high school. That's when you, now you can play when you're a freshman. Yeah. You didn't get hurt or anything, did you? Uh, oh, I, many, various injuries, but back then, back in the day. Nothing that you would have held out the whole season for, you don't think? In ninth grade? No, not, not at all. They put the tape on you, wrap you up and say, hit it. <laughs> there you go. What was, uh. When when you were on the field, like what 
what what did you think of on the field? Like, were you trying? Were you like a mental player? Like, always trying to think. All right, I got to do this on this play, and then try to follow through the play. Did you just know it? Did you kind of go to a place where I'm focused and I'm angry and I'm running the ball? Like, you you know what I'm trying to say? Like, what was your mindset on the football field? My mindset on the football field was destroy. Yeah. Uh, run as hard as I could every time, irregardless. And t- the way we all, we grew up as kids was we played tackle football with no pads, of course. Mm-hmm. And the mindset was once you put them pads on and get that extra protection and stuff, there were things that you could do that were legal to hurt that would hurt somebody. Right. I mean, and it was just flat out hard nose football. Real football. Real, real football. <laughs> so when did you start getting attention as far as your running back skills? When I started knocking people down. So it was media as it, soon as you started trucking people. Everything was kind of instinctive. If if I got the ball, I knew what they were going to do if they got me first. So I said, well, best offense of that is the best defense is I'll get you before you get me. Right. And at that time, there was such a thing as a forearm shiver. And I had a very, very nice shiver. If you you come at me, that was going to be the first thing you did was that shiver. Yeah. And I not only I not only put it up, I threw it out. Um, there later on as I advanced through high school and such, um, there are guys who, to this day, say I broke bones on them because right. of that shiver. Because they'd be reaching out with their arms, and that, I was going to shiver through the arms. So you can imagine this outstretched arm and then and another force coming, say most of the time it was coming up. I would it would swing it up. I'd never swing down for some reason. It was always gonna come up out of Yeah. Because that would give me some more explosion, so to speak. Did you have um any trouble holding on to the ball or was oh, it, never? Oh football's a very hard thing to keep a hold of. And, right. Um and we had those Fumbling drills, as they still do to this very day, and that was something that I learned. I never carried the football away from my body, never. Uh, they put it in a cup now, so to speak, yeah. be running and sprinting. My back. mother-in-law calls it carrying it like a loaf of bread. <laughs> That's and, what Janice says. Well, and at that time, they say you you're supposed to protect the ball as as a running back. Uh, protect the ball, and, and that's what I tried to do. And one of those drills was you'd run through a gauntlet. That's a fairly well-known term. Mm-hmm. You run through a gauntlet, and everybody could take a shot at you. They'd be aiming at the ball. But if they hit you, they'd try to hit you anywhere where that ball you could knock loose. Could get not loose, but. Because of the way I carried the ball, that the ball and my arm were like one. Right. I I would hug it. I'd put it so tight against my body. I could feel how tight it was, but it didn't restrict me from running. 
nowadays you you see backs and what have you wide receivers once that once they get secure that ball the ball comes away from their bodies and that's when some of the fumbles occur because if it's if they can see the ball that's a and it's away from your body man it, most of the time it's going to come up mm-hmm. all you needed was the right shot on it but i never i Kept the ball right next to my body. Who was um? What was the name of your your backfield partner? Monty Hinkle. Yeah, was one. Uh, um, the ones prior to me, I, I played with a gentleman named Dave Dixon. He was he was a year ahead of me in school. Um, oh my, Jimmy Rhodes, Callie. Doug Tone was the quarterback when my first, my sophomore year, he mm-hmm. was quarterback. Um, numerous. Did y'all have any nicknames for yourselves or anything like that? No, we did not. Not nicknames per se. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't get a nickname until my junior year, and that didn't even come from. Yes, it did. It came from football. They started calling me Soul Daddy because I would always be the one singing on the buses. Yeah. And I, I knew the old music. That, that Like the drifters, like we were talking about yesterday, up on the roof. Stuff <laughs> like that. And, and, and the one song that was our, kind of our motto song once we won a game was um, Shout. <laughs> it was shouted. You know how you get the you go to a Christian show, mm-hmm, yep. you be so loud with it, and just a little, a little bit softer now. And the team, everybody loved it. Everybody loved it. It's still a jam. Oh, oh it's still yeah. a jam to this day. One of it's the, one of the classics. Yeah, absolutely. So you already got the soul daddy, so that takes out that question. Uh, was there a reason for number 35? Or did, was that literally the number they handed you at Hanley? I think I selected that number. I, I was trying to remember how that came about. Because in basketball, my number was 34. Mm-hmm. Um, that just came about out of coincidence, let's just say. But I think I selected the jersey 35. and. It just went from there. Okay. I, I just always, always felt like a special attachment to my, I only play basketball for like two years, but I had a special attachment to 14. And that's still like when I play video games, I make myself still 14. So I didn't know if there was a special attachment to 35 for you that you could recall at the time. Do you remember your best season? Like as far as stat numbers or probably not? Not without looking it up. Um. Or you got some um, Al Bundy stories where you scored nine touchdowns no, in one game. Scored, I never scored nine, but I had one one evening in Stafford, Virginia. I, there was so much press about me coming to town that my coach at the time, Ron Rice. Ron Rice, Coach Rice. He 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 was a motivator, and. Got to Stanford, Virginia, and he had hyped me up about what they were going to do to me, and I I never opened my mouth or nothing. I just had my normal pregame 
ritual that I went through for every football game I ever played in high school. It was the same routine. What was that? The, the segue off that the ritual. The ritual was I'd lose my guts. Cute. Before. Did not matter where, home, away. Huh. I, I would dismiss myself from the team, the, the locker room, whatever, and find me a spot, and here it comes. And once that, it was just like it was a switch would turn on. That was it. That night at Stanford, I scored four touchdowns. In the first half, I didn't, because I didn't play in the second half, because we were that good. There were teams afraid to play us. No matter how big they, they were, still afraid of us for some reason, and I just I had a very very probably that would have been the best game that I've ever had. And there were other games where I would I would get yardage, maybe not be scored because there were so many games my junior and senior year that we, nobody played the whole game because mm-hmm. we'd be so far ahead by halftime. Everybody's everybody off on the bench the, by third Everybody quarter. got to play. We, they, we turned into the cheerleaders and mm-hmm. what have you. And at, at in that period, that's just the way that it was. We were that good. From my sophomore year, we were 7-3. My junior year, we were 10-0. My senior year, year we were 9-1. But they, when Hanley was coming to town... That would draw. That would. That was the draw. Hey, here comes Hanley. Right. Did you ever win it all? State championship. There was no such thing oh. as a, as a play game that you play on the field to win a championship. State championships were determined by record, okay. and the state picked. Who was on the state team, or, or, or I mean, who was the state champion, and who the um, who would be an all-state player? Yeah, and you so, were an all-state player before. Yeah, uh, I'm. I was became an all-state player, but I never won a a championship because there was no game to be played. We, our coach Ron Rice, went out and looked for teams to play after our season was over, but nobody wanted to play us. And that was my junior year. Right. Um, I think by 1970, I think those playoff format came and played like 19, I, I want to say 72 for some reason. Because all of the hard hits, older players had were gone by then. And then Hanley started all of a sudden winning state titles. Oh, okay. But only thing, at, when your season was over, you only played 10 games. You only won a district championship. Yeah, I won yeah. district championships and stuff like that. But there was no format for playoffs at that time. That's like that's just like saying at that time there were only four sports. It was at three: track, football, basketball. That was it. There was only three sports. There was no wrestling at Hanley. Mm-hmm. Even though at James Wood High School there was a uh, wrestling team because I remember the coach for the football team, um, Walters, was a wrestling coach at James Wood. Oh, okay. So so they had a wrestling program at James Wood way before Hanley even had one. 
You don't like James Wood, do you? I, I, <laughs> I do not have a problem with James Kellen back in the day. After, after, after James Wood was home, because mm-hmm. they play on Friday nights. Right. Because they had lights. Haley didn't have any lights up until a certain way later. In fact, I don't even think they still do on the field. No, there's no lights. At, all of Hanley's games are in the daytime. All of them. You're right. There, yeah. There's still no lights. There is no lights on that stadium. And You're right. if you look, the, of course, you've seen the landscape of Hanley. Why mess it up with lights? Oh, <laughs> Hanley's one of the most beautiful campuses. Oh, my goodness. Anywhere. But we play on always on Saturday afternoon. Well, on Friday nights, even, even though we had a game on on a Saturday, we'd end up at the parties James Wood had Friday nights. <laughs> and on Saturday, James Wood players would end come up to your at parties. the parties. And we'd all be in the same orchard. Because back in the day, you partied in the orchard, the mm-hmm. apple orchard. Right. And, and and that's just the way it was. It it wasn't. I don't know so much about how schools feel about each other and where that the the rivalry the rivalry was always there. But we we party together. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, Winchester wasn't very big back then, so I can understand that. Well, and, well that, that's another reason that there's another. It wasn't that big. There were twenty seven thousand something. In the city, mm-hmm. and then of course, but everybody knew everybody. I grew up with my teammates even before I knew them as a child because of the occupation that my mother was in. So I grew up with them before I even started playing football with them. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, all of us ended up over at the uh, circle, we called it the circle, over on uh, just off of East Street. And that's where the the football games would take place, the no-pad football games, between the neighborhoods. The unsanctioned games. Oh, they were definitely <laughs> unsanctioned. All right, so did you have any um big-name scouts come look at you that you were aware of? Not, not that I was aware of, no, sir. No. Uh, not that I'm aware of. Uh, I wasn't the most academic athlete out there so I my mine were few were uh came from like uh the uh what do you call them division at that time division two NAIA schools Mm -hmm. and things like that but none from a major school because my my grades weren't the best so as you were wrapping up your football career you you didn't think I could definitely go pro or college or major college no. or anything like that. No, Mm-mm. the one the school that I did get a chance to go to was Elizabeth City State College at that time, and that's in North Carolina. That's right? in North Carolina. Um, I got to go there, and I was only there for one day. Why only one day? We went to. We went for the uh, first meeting, whatever orientation, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. And amongst five running backs, I was the smallest one, even though in all the programs they had me at 195 pounds. When I I did not 
overly eat or anything when I was younger. When I got to Elizabeth City, I weighed 175 pounds, and that was 30 pounds lighter than the next person up from me. Mm. And, of course, all, all they were just horses. I mean, absolute horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we played, none of our football teams were not that big, per se, as far as weight. Had big guys on the team, according, you know, for their sizes and stuff, but we yeah. were never a big team. And they always said I weighed 195. I never played at 195. Because 195 was the weight we went in at the beginning of summer. Well, by the time the first game rolled around, none of us weighed what they put in that program. Right. Because you've been working it off. Working it off, working it off, whatever. And when we went in for that first that first time to get our weigh-ins and uniforms and all that kind of stuff, well, you're standing, you're standing waiting to get weighed. You're drinking water, just guzzling, guzzling, mm-hmm. guzzling, guzzling, guzzling. And, and they took, don't pee. <laughs> don't pee until after you get weighed. So, so we all were big on the scale. But you were full of water. Because, <laughs> and then once the season, um, the season stuff started, you'd gone through two days of the heat. Of summer, mm-hmm. and, and that's when it really was the heat of summer. Nowadays, they won't let them practice twice a day in the heat. Right. Something, the health health restrictions or whatever. But we did two days, and by the time season started, nobody weighed what they went and drink after drinking water, and <laughs> nobody did. But everybody was in shape. So you came back from Elizabeth City after one day. Came home, you were walking the street, I assume, and you saw an ad, a flyer for... No, no, no. That, that was much, that was later. Okay. That was later. Um, I came back, I said, okay, I need to get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, first job out of high school to remember going to was a cemetery. Grave digger? No, oh, no, no, no. Um, maintenance. Okay. You know how you c- cut the grass and yeah, just maintenance, doing maintenance. And, and something hit me one day and said, You don't want to do this anymore. So I just waved my hand to me. I said, Bye. I didn't even worry about paycheck. I just I knew it was not something that I wanted to do. Right. So I went and applied at the hospital. I said, I, I can help people. I was big enough and strong enough to be able to help people. As an orderly? As an orderly. Learned learned some basics about health, health itself. It helped, saved a couple of lives. Um, not a whole lot to the actual feat of being an orderly, except for I had a job. You So I'm glad you brought that up because I would have missed it. While you're at the hospital, you used to watch TV. Oh, yeah, when you had a break. And one of the shows that you used to watch at the hospital was Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You were probably my gateway drug <laughs> to all the all the stuff that I got into over my course of my life, including Star Trek and Star Wars, and then eventually comic books. What 
what was the reason that you started watching Star Trek? Because, I mean, this is, what, it had two seasons originally? So this is probably like season one, season two when it was on, I guess? No, that was, no, they, they were they in repeats. They were repeats at that time. Oh, okay. So they weren't even on at that time, probably. Um, the, the main reason was you'd get a, you'd get a 15 minute break, so to speak, when you were, uh, working on the floor. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I tried to, I always strive to do my best at, at whatever job it was, if I if it held my interest. Well, I was interested in my job because it was a health field, and I could help people. Mm-hmm. And plus, help must the health industry, so to speak, is a feel good job. Because if you don't want to be there, you won't feel good about it. Well, there wasn't anything strenuous. My job was the Help help other people, assist the, the nurses with what whatever they may have been going to or whatever, not through, but whatever they were doing with patients. And you'd get a break, and they had a, a lounge, a patient's lounge, or, or if by chance, in a room. When they had private rooms, they had... Um, multiple use rooms and they'd be a TV in the room or whatever. And you it's like it came on every day and it was on everywhere. And I would say everywhere, I mean everywhere. In the hospital. It it be it would be on in somebody's room. It would be in the patients um where, where they have get uh, not guests but visitors. Visitors come where they could take them to the room. It would be on the T it was like at I, if I remember correctly, it came on at five thirty every day, and it, it was a half hour. It would come on, and it'd be on everywhere, and you'd be able to catch X amount of it, and and you'd know what was going on. You wouldn't miss anything because if you left one room, went to another, it was on. <laughs> and it was. It always seemed to me that it was. It didn't matter what floor. It was on, except mm-hmm. maybe in in the uh, maternity. That might have been the only. Of course, I didn't work in maternity for it, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but it was on everywhere, and if it wasn't on, all you had to do is hit a button; it'd be on. So, so, so you were watching it because it was on. But what, what, like, what did you like about Star Trek? The dialogue and Mister the dot the. Dialogue that they gave Spock. <laughs> Say if if something's not logical, it's not logical. If it's illogical, it's ill. It, it's just a cut and dry fact of life. Yeah, you know, and just building on that one those simple lines were something that also learned from football was Coach Rice instilled in us that no matter what, and it just makes. Logical sense. If you can move your little pinky, and I already had one broken and was still moving. <laughs> if you can move a little pinky, you are never defeated. And it was logic in that. Even as, even as, I wish I knew what it was. Um, <laughs> and it was logic in it, and that's just kind of the premise that I just continued to build on. So you were a Spock fan? 
Oh, oh, yeah, oh yes, definitely. Because if it wasn't logical, I said, well, that's right. It's not logical. <laughs> so what got you out of being an orderly? College. Where did you go to college at? I went to Shepherd University for a year, a year and a half. Um, kind of changed my perspective on life. I, I went out to explore. I actually got into college where I was suppo- supposed to have been on the track team. I got a grant in aid to do the for track. I, I was kind of swift, and the intentions of carry, was going to carry that track training, so to speak, into football the following year. Well, the following year, I no longer wanted to play football. Just lost interest? Or? I lost it, complete interest in football. Um, I didn't, I no longer felt I was big enough to compete. And, and it, when I saw some of the players that were coming in and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it, I was I was not big enough to compete. Just kind of lost my mojo for it. And, so I just never played football at Shepherd. But you did run track a little bit. Yeah, I ran track for one for one season. Mm-hmm. And other than that one season, um, not nothing else. So you're a year and a half in the Shepherd, and then you're not playing football. Track season's over, and what stops you from continuing? Because you had the, the grant for track, so you could have kept running track for, I think that's Shepherd was a two-year school then? No. It was a four-year it school. Was a, it was simply, it was a college. It wasn't the university. How they changed yeah. everything's a university now. So you could have kept running track? And- I could I I could have, but I came home. Um, Winchester. During the, uh, the other Winchester, over the holiday break that you get nowadays in college, two or three weeks, whatever it was. And it was right before Thanksgiving. It was in downtown Winchester. Walked by a telephone company, said they were hiring. I said, hmm. And, and I was also still where I was work going to Shepherd, and I would work the hospital on the weekends. Yeah. And saw this, saw a sign on the window, CMP Telephone Company. <laughs> <laughs> it's original <laughs> name. And I put an application in on Monday, and on Thursday I had a job. So I didn't never went back to college. So you started CMP December, January of whatever year November, it was. No? November. November. 22nd, it was before things, November 22nd, 72. Came in, no drop, drop job training, and they and they taught you everything you need to do right then and there. And uh, sent me to, I, I worked for a week in the office in Winchester, mm-hmm. and then they sent me to Richmond. Still Braddock Street? Still Braddock Street, mm-hmm. right there on Braddock Street. Um, they sent me to Richmond. I don't actually, because I, I had learned every, I think in like in six weeks, I had learned everything that I could about Winchester. And they sent me to Richmond for a job. 
and it was to uh, get an office up and running, so to speak, is what they call it. Um, and I learned some other things. First, in 72, when I started, everything that the tele inside telephone required was what you had to wire it. I learned color codes and stuff like, you know, positioning, number alignment, and a whole bunch of other different things as far as making the telephone actually completely work. Because mm-hmm. whenever I was at, at uh, CMP with you and I was sitting around, all I saw you go around is they'll go around this big switchboard all day and, and like, use your little, I don't even know what the hell it's called, a little gun and take this wire out, take this wire out, cut this, put, put pull this, this wire, and, and you just went around all day. And, uh, I mean, you got on the computer and typed in some stuff. And um, When I first started at the telephone company, everything from the telephone number had to be wired in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, for long distance, had to be wired in a certain way. Uh, if it was the number... The line itself had to go from a spot on one side of what we called the frame. The line number, so to speak, had to go from the frame to the cable pair at every home. Had a designated cable pair that would take that line from downtown Winchester to wherever. It had to be wired. To this day... That is the same principle, only now all the long distance and everything is in that one wire from point A to the home point B. There's only one wire. When I started working, you had to put in 14 different wires to get one telephone number to work. That would be from the translation to what number it is, the number itself, and if there were businesses, you'd have to do it, make them all hunt together. And that, when I say hunt, that went from, if the number started at 8,000 and went to 8,015. So they had 15 lines at a business. Mm-hmm. Each one had to be wired. Nowadays, each one goes, when once you put in that one wire, then everything is taken care of through the switching system, the electronic switching system. It went from being being simple one, two, three, four to binary numbers. Zero, zero, one. one. Oh, zero, one zero. zero. Mm-hmm. And that completely changed the complex of the telephone industry. That's the beginning of the digital age. <laughs> As 1980... Oh, we cut that office over in 1984. Four, I want to say it was 1984. Mm-hmm. But, but a premise of what I'm saying about this wiring thing is in 1972, when I first started working for the telephone company, there were 15 people in the office. Each one had a different, a specific job. Like there I were, ain't never seen 15 people in the office. Then, I saw maybe seven at most at one time. When when we. Went upstairs, the switchman had a job, the frame attendants had a job, um, and then tow department had a job. In fact, that building where I started is where the operators were located. Oh, really? The, with the uh, Where were they at in the building? They were upstairs on the second floor. 
Where, where right, you ended up eventually. Where I ended up eventually. And, of course, they shipped all the operators out because as time went on, they needed fewer and fewer operators, so they didn't need them in Winchester. They shipped them all to Leesburg. Mm-hmm. And that's with the operator. Um, that's where all the operators went, except in different cities, of course. But the operators for the Winchester area, including everything around it, was in Leesburg, once they moved out of Winchester. And, of course, that's, that was the company, one of the company's ways of downsizing. Was moving the operators out to Leesburg? Mm-hmm. Okay. So just from the way you just talked about that, I could tell that even now, even though you've been retired for, what, seven years? Seven years. Yeah, seven years. Even though you've been retired for seven years, I could tell that, tell that the process kept you engaged of, of your everyday, what you had to do every day. And, and still to this day, if you had to go in there and do it, you could probably do it and pick it right back up and be no, set. No, you couldn't, couldn't do it? You don't no, think I you could, could do it not. now? No, no, I could not. Um, one of the things I omitted, when I started at the telephone company, I said there were 15 people in there. Mm-hmm. Well, by the time, I'd say within a year and a half of me being there in 1973 or early 74, I was the only one in there. I mean, I was the only one doing my job in the building. Mm-hmm. It went from four. It went from four frame personnel to one, and it got to a point where they were sending me from whence they would bring two people into the office to do my job, and they'd send me out right to other offices in Chesapeake, Richmond. Um, Virginia Beach, to wire their offices because you're that damn good. I, I, I would assume I was that fast and good because what I picked up, I was that. Because I made some trips with you, like when I was a kid, and that was I'm sure that's completely different from what you were doing back then because you weren't traveling near as far, right? But they would send you out of office sometimes. So you now firmly started CMP. When when did you get interest in refereeing basketball? Because you mentioned you played basketball in high school, but that was more that wasn't your main sport. It was football and track in high school. Um, but it was football. No, I, it wasn't track. No, no. You didn't run track in high school. Uh, I was ejected. I, I have to use this word ejected off the track team, supposedly because I had an injury that the coach didn't want to recognize. He said I wasn't putting enough effort in. I couldn't run. I had a hip pointer. Um, and I couldn't run, so he said, "Well, we didn't yeah, bye." Wow. So I said, "Bye." And and that was in your highly track career, I suppose. As far as track went, so you were a two sports star, though, at least basketball well, and football. Football, yeah. Um, but what what got you into refereeing? Because it was re- I, I assume it was right after. CMP that you started doing that a few nope. years down the line. Nope. No, how long ago? I started officiating my se- my senior year out of high school. Oh, well, damn. Okay. And that was out of necessity. I was with a some community activists 
And at that time, um, this it's also around the same time that I started DJing. I started DJing before I turned 19. Oh, okay. Um, it was out of necessity because um, you're aware of Family Day. Yes. I was with the with the group, and they had planned fam one to plan a family day this certain day in August. It all it was always on that time, and we came up with the idea of having a summer league basketball, and that was in this, this the league would take place during the summer, and then the culmination of everything was on family day to be a championship game. Wait a minute. So, so you, you're telling me that you were involved in the creation of summer league basketball in Winchester? No, no. Okay, a, a small part. But a small part. Um, summer league, summer league really didn't exist back then. Back then, basketball was played in um, November to February to March. Mm-hmm. That that was the the whole season. Right. Um. There was there were programs i'm sure somewhere but we we started i started you know a summer league program um we had everything was done there was no high tech discussions going on nowhere everything was by phone guys would get teams together there'd be two or three local winchester teams there was a Braville team a charlestown team a Martinsburg team, and they'd all come to Winchester to play on their given day. I had I did the scheduling, you know, so they'd know when to come to town, yeah. who they'd be playing and stuff like that. But there were no officials available. So no I got a whistle. <laughs> got I, you a rule book. No Not I even that. Didn't even do Fouls a foul, walks mm-hmm. a walk. Didn't need the brood book. Didn't, well, didn't know, need to know all the intricacies of the basketball game. Just needed to be able to blow the whistle, stop the plays and stuff like that. Um, I stood, if I remember, I stood almost near half court. So I, w- I wasn't going to be running both ends because this is out on a old school concrete pole, pole in the way basketball court. Mm-hmm. And I would stand in the middle, and I, whatever call it was, I'd make the call from wherever I was at on the thing, and it got to a point where it said, uh, I need some help with this. Um, so I asked the other guys, uh, the players on the teams, I said, y'all, I need some more officials, man. Uh, don't You can't call your own team, of course. Yeah. But it'd be just called a basketball game. And other guys start, you know, Picked, picked it up, and so I wouldn't have to do. It'd be like three games in the in the evenings. Would be three basketball games, and they had to be fin. No, they didn't have to be done by dark because there were lights at the park even back then. Um, it wasn't the best shooting once it got dark, but there were there were lights where they could see, and and it, that's how I got started. Um. And it was out of necessity because there was nobody, there were no officials. We didn't have any, we had, we had gentlemen that could do baseball, but nobody had ever, that I remember, had started doing, had, was doing basketball. Okay. 
Then once that was over, I went into Parks and Recs officiating. Then there's where some more learning took place. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys that I officiate, I always got lost. I'm not out here to fight nobody. I said, I'm going to make a call. If you think it's wrong, it's going to be wrong. But I'm going to make a call based on basketball. I mean, if you push a person, it's a foul. <laughs> right. You know, whether you're doing it out of meanness or whatever, I'm going to blow the whistle because it's, it's a foul's a foul in basketball. You just can't change that. Well, they have. But. <laughs> yes, in the professional sports realm, they definitely have. So, so excuse me then. And you were, you were refereeing before you got to CMP, and you were also DJing. So, how about DJing? How'd you get into DJing? Um, the group, the active group that I was hanging with, I'll just use the term hanging with, um, came up with the idea of a way to have parties on the weekends. So they, it was Larry Banks and John Briscoe, B and B, and they came up with this production company and um, B&B Productions, and I wasn't at those initial meetings that John and Larry had, mm-hmm. but they came up with the concept, and John, they, they came up with the concept of a disco group. I like, I like music. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, I always liked music. I, I was a 45er. I oh, had forty wow. fives. Yeah. All the I'd play them at the house. Once, once they gave me a record player, and I, I mean it was old school forty five. Where mm-hmm. it would play the uh, big vinyls too, but records were cheap, really? so, so to speak. It, um, they came up w- with this concept and invited three other myself, Randy Randolph Martin, Herman Long invited us into the group to be the DJs. I don't know where, where that comes from. I guess we just all knew. We were also bicycle partners. I forgot about that. Yeah, because you we, said the bike. Yeah, we, we also rode bicycles everywhere. And I'm talking about the five people, uh, Herman, Randolph, myself, Larry, and John. Winchester's we a good city to ride bicycles. Oh, yeah, back then it was. Mm-hmm. It absolutely was. Um, it still is, probably. Yeah, it's still flat. <laughs> That's the main thing I'm thinking of. Coming from Morgantown, where it's hill every five seconds. Yeah, you know, there was there was only one main hill in Winchester, in the city of Winchester, where we rode at, mm-hmm. and that was a jail jail hill. Mm-hmm. There were other back. Now we had explored other re, other parts of the city where there were even some other big hills, but. By then, we we all had high 10 speeds and stuff like that. So those hills didn't mean nothing. Right. When we used to go up Jail Hill, we was all on one mono speed bicycles, Schwinn's. (laughs) Wasn't no no shift, no gear. Right. You had to pump air, pump, 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 pump. 
when when we were when we were riding it, and that just elevated it. Once everybody got to ten speeds and stuff, but that's a that's a completely different story. But yeah, we we all were actually bicycle riders, and we they asked us to join this production, be DJs, and it just kind of he got Larry got gigs because people wanted to party on the weekend. Didn't mm-hmm. matter where it was, Front Royal, Winchester, Berryville, Boys. It was just a small area thing, but. It it got to a point. I think her longest, our longest, yeah, we went Culpeper, but our longest actual trip was Cumberland, Maryland. And and it got to a point where they wanted us in Cumberland, Maryland every other weekend because we had we had a steady in Winchester, Mm -hmm. and that was that simply at the Elks Club, and we'd go in to have a certain thing on Friday night. but shut it down at a certain time. Then on Saturday night, uh, there was no limit because there were no rules. It was at a um, independently owned club, so to speak. So if, if we wanted to be in there until three or four o'clock in the morning playing music and jamming with with folks, that's just the way it was. Nice. But of course, if we went out of town, we'd go to do these things at Power Hall. Mm-hmm. Have discos at fire halls and stuff, and of course they would always have a time limit. It would be like one o'clock. Yeah, one o'clock it was shut down, and that, that was fine with us. Pays pay, right? So, so you're, you're traveling all over with B and B Productions doing music while you're working. working. Um, but what was the point where you guys got away from that? You just one day say, "Hey guys, can't do it anymore." That sounds like something that would, that you would. You know, I really encounter. don't know what how I don't have. A this isn't behind the music or anything where drugs and women ended everything, but. <laughs> no, well, one year we our equipment was always stored at the Elks Club in Winchester. Mm-hmm. Well, we went in one weekend to do. A, you were a gig, and I, somebody had gone in and stolen all the equipment. Oh, shit. So, we immediately got into, at that time, was a van. But I think Larry had the van. And we rode to Fairfax and purchased brand new equipment. Everything. Turn, turn, and then and some upgrading, because we got mixer boards and all that stuff mm-hmm. in because we were doing everything manually by hand when we started. Two two turntables, mixer in the middle, small mixer, wouldn't high fluting thing, mm-hmm. but a small mixer in order to blend music back in. But when we started, everything was on two turntables without a mixer. When this one you could when you could hear this one ending. You'd already had queued up your next one, and that was the old school cue, not do no mixer or nothing. Right. Um, and when that song went off, you hit turn it on. You hear the we had dual headset. You could hear the new one coming in. You fade one, you turn one down, and then bring in the other one. And why it ended? I'd have to go actually ask. Somebody, if they remember why it ended. Because <laughs> you were doing it after I was born. Now that, I mean, that you told you you had a gig right before I was born. Yeah. 
I mean, I didn't even know you did it till that picture popped up with you in the paper. Are you was it four four of you? Was in that picture? It wasn't all five of you. John, like I said, John never took part. He never DJed, mm-hmm. but I know where that name came from. Frisco and Banks. Because John lived on one side of, on the, right here on Fairmont Avenue, the mm-hmm. same street Herman lives on. Yes. Lived on at that time. John's house was here and Larry's house was like right here. They weren't across from each other, but I mean, they were just situated just like that. And that's, that would be where we, that's where we hung out all the time was either John's house, Banks's house. Or Herman's house because mm-hmm. I was still living with my parents on great um, liberty, liberty on Liberty and Frederick Douglass, um, the what became elementary school. Now I don't know if they turned it down or not yet, but it's now that was the high school that you were talking about that you used to play football uh-huh. at with the bigger kids. Okay, so it was right behind your house. It was I was right behind my house, and of course, back in the day. At, that was the only black school mm-hmm. in the city, and they came and it got to a point where the kids in Front Row Strasburg um, were coming to Douglas for the, their education because there weren't there were black schools in those places, but they weren't high schools. Right, they'd have to trans, they'd have to get on a bus, make a trip to Winchester, and then. From Strasburg, Front Royal, and wherever, until mm. they opened up Kaiser in Front Royal for uh, high school students to go to. Huh. Oh, goodness. All right, where do I want to take this now? So, well, I guess we should get to me. <laughs> My mother, Bar- Barbara Walker. Told me I was conceived the Prince's 1999 album, which came out in 1982. Can can you confirm this fact? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's interesting, Mom. Thanks. Well, what was the song? I don't know. There's plenty. She said the album. So an album. Yeah, the 1999 album by Prince. Prince. I'd have to look at the track list and even begin to guess. I'm sure it wasn't 1999. Maybe Let's Go Crazy. (laughs) That was uh, Purple Rain, though. No, I I don't have any. (laughs) Barbara comes to you in 1982 at some point and says, I'm pregnant. What do you say? Obviously, let's go. Go, Tom. (laughs) Because I'm here. Uh, no, um, she said she was pregnant, and I said, okay. I, I, I had no reserve about it or mm. no question about it. Um, we've been, ooh, we've been seeing each other going on three and a half or four years by then. Mm-hmm. So I, no, I, she's pregnant, she's pregnant. I, I, I knew there'd be some stepping up and things yeah. change and life would change and stuff like that, but I had no problem. I I immediately moved her in where I, at that time I was, oh, nah. I was living on um, 
it's not coming to mm-hmm. me right now. But immediately took her from where she was living. She started living with me. And then once you were born, I think a month after you were born, moved on to Gray Avenue. I was getting ready to ask you when you when you moved in Gray Avenue. How did uh did you just see it was for sale and say, let me go? Yeah. How did that process go back then um, to, buy, to buy that house? Because I know the hell that I went through and Angel went through to get our current house. Well, things were different. I know. I know they were. Um, I don't... I think it was because of knowing Winchester, of course, in New Winchester. But I think it was simply a matter of riding by and it said for sale. Mm-hmm. And the realtor was somebody that I knew. Can't even remember his name. Melco. Yeah. Mm, can't even remember his name, but we went to school together, and his dad rented me. I was renting option to buy. Okay. Then after after so long, it, it just was simply I was simply paying the mortgage on it, and it was the I, I because of my reputation, I didn't I had no problem getting. Certain things were just available to me. Mm-hmm. People helping. Yeah. Whether it's out of kindness or their heart, or they was they gonna make they was gonna make a dollar. So what the heck? They didn't care. But that, um, if I remember, that was the most expensive home I've ever had, was purchasing. It was seven fifty a month. But I was working telephone company. I made that in, in a week. Right. So you still had half your paycheck by the time you paid the rent each month. For that first paycheck, at least. Oh, no, I, I had um, one, two, three. I had three-thirds of my paycheck. I mean, I, it was, I'd get paid every week. It oh, so like, you were we- literally getting paid pay, weekly? Weekly. Okay. It wasn't like the hospital every other every two weeks. Mm-hmm. It was nothing like it. There was a different way of budgeting when I worked at the hospital and when I started working telephone company. It was a check coming every week. So it it wasn't complicated at yeah. all. Yeah. All right. Do you do you, do you uh you remember the day I was born, Dad? Yeah. Can can you take me through it? Because I wasn't there <laughs> for most of it. Well, no, you're making a wrong. You were there the day you were born. You were there. Yes. You you were there even prior to the day you were born. I guess yes. If, if, if the logic side of it, thank you very much. Um, um, on on a Sunday, it was right before game time. Football game of all things. She said, well, "Water broke." I said, "Well, let's go to the hospital." I had no problem with going to the hospital because everybody already knew me at the hospital, even 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 at that late date in 80, 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to the hospital, and it, at that time, it was the doctor. You didn't go into the room with with the mothers. Yeah, yeah, you had sitting on sitting in the waiting room. Right. And that's that's the way it was. That's just the way that it was. Nowadays, they, everybody goes in. Um, but if there was a football game on it, and it happened to be the Redskins and the Raiders. 
I want to say the only way that could have happened is it would have had to be the Super Bowl. Well, they played on my birthday in 84 in the Super Bowl. There was a football game on that in in 83. The day I was born. On the day you were born. Mm -hmm. Could have been a conference championship game. I, I do remember football game, but you and I know the Raiders won too. On, on the day of that football game, because mm-hmm. the Raiders won the Super Bowl on the day I turned one. The last Super Bowl until eighty four. Yeah, for eighty three season. Or did the Redskins win the Super Bowl that the year that you were? The Redskins won the Super Bowl the year I was actually born because it was for the 82 season. That's, that's what it was then. It was, it was a Super Bowl because it was on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the year the Redskins won the Super Bowl then. When they beat the Dolphins and Riggins went crazy on them. Some things just <laughs> gone. It's, you, you, you've recollected pretty well so far. All right, so you have a kid. You're, you're stopped DJing. You're still refereeing. When did you meet Ralph Lewis? When he was playing basketball in high school. You played I, against him? I was an official. Oh. Ralph was younger, was younger than I. Yeah. A lot, a lot of the people that I, the people that I learned from were all older than me, even even let's see, I didn't I didn't get registered till nineteen seventy four. I didn't become a registered official until it might have been seventy three. But it was then I, I became a registered official and what and what brought me to register was my coaches in high school, they were basketball officials. Um and and their son their sons that I went to school with, some of them <clears throat> were high school basketball officials, and I'd see them out on a, I'd see them during basketball games, but never associated. That later, I'd be in the same association with them. Um, I've met R- Ralph and a lot of other people when I was calling their games when they were still in school. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Ralph came out of school and. Went into education, and he was a administrator at, when he started officiating, he was an administrator at uh, Shenandoah University, and he, he started officiating, and that's when I met him. No, that, that can't be right. Boy, I'd have to pull it. Pull some data out of the bank when I first met Ralph and how that actually occurred. Because I know it wasn't on the, but I didn't, he might have been one of the first people I had on teaching on the basketball floor, but Mm -hmm. I don't think it was, I don't think it transpired that way. Well, you and Ralph hit it off and you became good friends. And then, Y'all became this world-renowned referee and duo, <laughs> at least in this area. Ralph and Danny, 
People, people see Ralph and Danny come in, and then they're going to get a fair ball game and have fun while they did it. And not only did they know they was going to get a prayer game, they knew they'd be there a while because we was going to call every freaking thing. <laughs> if we thought it was a foul, didn't care how much t- how long the game took, we was going to stop it. It's going to be a foul. In fact, Ralph and I made the association so notorious for calling everything that that became a a moniker, so to speak, mm-hmm. of the association. So these guys call everything. They don't let you get away with what if they see it, they gonna call it. And they knew it in Virginia and they knew it in West Virginia. I um remember at least by the time I got to after ten years old or something, I go to games with you and you and Ralph call games. It's the only time I've ever done this and I've I did it every game every game since that I would watch you referee. Watching, because being a referee is so underrated, obviously, in all sports. People just want to criticize the referee. But watching you guys to work together or even you work on the basketball court and call a basketball game, there's such a nuance to it. that I've all, I was always amazed by what you saw and what you didn't saw, see, and then the way you were able to contribute to the game without getting in the way of the game. And I found the way that you always did that was amazing. Because we always laughed at everything. Yeah. It it didn't matter. The bottom line, as Spock would say, is it's just, it's only logic. It's just a game. Mm-hmm. You see, the purpose was to keep the kids safe. See, we, you know, kid, kids even up to this day are clumsy and beat bump into each other where there's certain bumps that just don't just can't allow to happen mm-hmm. but we always laughed about everything so we all, i don't care what they say about me it's just like when i played football in high school i never heard a word when i was on the basketball floor playing high school basketball i never heard nothing i mean you, you can everybody knows what a gym sounds like or a football game sounds like there's outside noise i never heard nothing didn't care I, I I was here. I, everything that between my ears is like I had a shield up. And when you did hear something, all you could do was laugh. See, if they only knew, and <laughs> you know, tr- to try to go out there. But it was the purpose was to protect the kids and to have fun yourself. If you can't have fun, especially at the high school level, if you can't have fun in a basketball game. Whether you score two points or not, you're missing part of the mentality of being a high school official. When you go to the college and all that stuff, it's it's a completely different mode. But in high school, there there was no such thing as a true professional high school official. Unlike a college, you can be a you can be a professional high school official because I know guys that have that's all they do is high school officiate all right. the sports but with one sport was us was to have fun so if a coach wanted to yell at us we okay mm-hmm, yeah they can go back to the game now coach and they some of them would actually just look as say I'm up you can sense this I'm up here yelling in this uh-huh's face and he <laughs> simply says to me, can he go back and play in the game now? You could, you could just look in their eyes and say, he don't care about 
what I got to say and how I'm yelling at him, he's just mm-hmm. worried about that game. And that's what it was. So they have, it's like the fans, I've always maintained this. The fans have a right. They pay money to come to the game to get on the roof for their son, daughter, whatever, or to get on their pistols. I, I always say, as long as they don't touch me, they're good. Yeah. So I don't care. He paid to get in. That's his money. I, <laughs> he, he, if, I might be getting a couple of them pennies from that dollar that he paid to get in, you know, at the end of the night. But right. I, I never heard noise was the last thing that I ever worried about. Um, I always remember, like, in the, whatever room that y'all were getting dressed in for the game, you would always... Yeah, uh, this isn't an exact quote, but you would always be like, "All right, gentlemen, let's go out there and call this straight. I see something, you don't see something. We'll work together. We'll figure it out. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. What yada yada yada." But you always would be like, "Let's go out there and have fun." Bottom line, while I, we do this, that that was my my complete concept about the game. Said, "Go have fun, because if you get stressed out, and I've had this happen." Training other people. If you get stressed out over the fans saying something, you'll never make it as an official. Because I've had got, trying to teach guys was at schools, and by halftime they want to leave. I said, "How how can you leave? You're 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 an official at a game that you're being paid for, and now you want to quit mid game." I said, "I tell you what, you get through this game, you ain't." I told. Two of two pre- people that I can remember don't remember their name, but I told two. I said, "You let's go back up on the floor. You don't. You just go up and down the floor. Don't blow your whistle. Put your whistle in your pocket." Well, by the by the time they went up down the floor, second or third quarter, or whatever. By the time they gone up and down the floor again, they you, all of a sudden you hear tweet. I said, "Oh damn, he made a call." You know, because then. That was what I used to consider the one time that I would actually have to. That I would actually (laughs) have to call the whole floor by myself, and I hadn't done that since summer league. Right. Uh, And with a crowd and actual basketball going on on the floor, I'd have to look at the whole floor because I would know my partner wasn't going to call a thing. That's. And basically, that's what they got on them for, because the things were happening. Right in front of them. Nothing. Because you told them not to. No, no, no. This was this was oh. the way that they were trying to participate in becoming an official was not by blowing them. They didn't want to cause that noise. Oh, wow. They didn't want to hear. They wouldn't blow the whistle because they didn't want to hear the noise. That they was got coming. to. They're an authority but, figure on the floor. But some of the mentality of being an official is, is you got to be nuts to be an official <laughs> in high school. Yeah. Um, until recently, this was, this was, re- you couldn't do anything to a fan. Except go to the administrator and say something to him. Well, it's gotten to a point now, and you go to the administrator and complain about a fan, they will put them out. Good. Back in the day, that wasn't going to happen. Well, yeah, obviously. I remember um, conversations you had with Woody a few times we were in the car together. And it, it wasn't along the lines of Woody wanting to quit, but Woody... If I remember correctly, if I recall correctly, would get pissed about stuff people would be saying to him. 
He'd be like, Dan, he just said he just said this. He'd be like, Woody, let him say what he has to say. He called damn basketball game. <laughs> and Woody be like, but, but like, no, Woody, we're not going in here tonight, so you can get all mad. We're gonna go in here and call this game of Hampshire, then we're gonna go get some brew fries from Stray Cat. And you're gonna be fine. Have fun and stop listening to the listening to the crowd. So yeah. I, I definitely recall recall some some of that. Absolutely. If if you were going as an official, if you go out there with a bug in your ear, mm-hmm. or if you go to any game with troubles of your day, whether it be your job or something personal, if you take it out on the floor, you cannot do your job. There's got to be a separation. So those people, and I, I think I finally convinced Woody. I said. Oh, people, they, they got to, they can say whatever they want. They paid to get in. You being paid to be here. So, you know, what, who cares? I don't care what they say. Right. I'm going to smile. At Ralph, Ralph would laugh, just, Ralph would laugh in people's face. He would. I mean, it got to a point where I was fearful sometimes. I said, damn, he just, but they all knew him as the administrator also through the college, Shenandoah. so to speak. And, they knew him in that matter, and he he was simply just laughing people's faces. That, that always astonished me that he would do that. He he was just filled with so much joy anyway. Oh, yeah, it, yeah, it was nothing to him. It's like one night up in Petersburg, I got I got mauled uh, on a, a play in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm standing oh, close to the scorer's table. I'm standing. And ball gets tip, 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 and here come the football players. <laughs> I mean, they—they they, all of them were football. Yeah, no, no true basketball players. Um, and they was just burling down on me. Well, I went, I went into the um, what do they call those things? Armadillo. Curl into the ball. I went into the armadillo <laughs> boy, curled up, and I got slammed from two different sides. Ended up at laying across the scorer's table, and and. The place went solid. Right. Place went solid, solid, and I just sat there and I shook a little bit. Probably today, I they take you to the hospital for what happened to me. Oh I, damn! I mean, I I was hit that hard. I said, okay, just this just to hold up for a little bit. Ralph came over. He said, you all right? I said, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I got to recuperate from that. Sat there a little bit. Finally stood back up on both feet, took a couple of jogging steps, you know, up and down. Move. I said, let's play this game. And that, that was the end of that. Right. You know, because as an official, you go, if you're not in position, you're going to get hurt. Or you can get hurt if you're in position. Yeah. Those are bodies flying at you, and they don't have any more control over it. Stopping and you do and stopping them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What were some of your favorite gyms to call in, Dad? Did you have certain ones that you really liked being at, or nah, made no difference? I, I, games, game. Mm-hmm. I, 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 there were some gyms I would rather not be in. Yeah, um, but that was simply Romney's. <laughs> um, yeah, oh yeah, the little the one in Rom. Yeah, the little one in Rom. That that was my second experience on a. A floor that 
you moved to Marx in order to calculate where backcourt was. Well, Douglas was like that. Mm-hmm. The Douglas gym was like that. You, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And in fact, they were all, aside from the one side having bleachers on them at um, Romney, mm-hmm. the Douglas gym had wall. I mean, the wall would be two foot. There was no place. Oh, and Johnson Williams, too, was the same way. Johnson Williams, any gym that wasn't regulation. Right. I did not enjoy those because you'd have to take precautions. I mean, you could be running up a sideline and be stepping on feet because the feet would be one foot from the court. <laughs> I mean, there was no place else. They were on a wall. You you was running on a wall. Mm-hmm. How many times did you uh, get to go down state, Dad? The referee state tournament. I went to the state tournament twice. Only called once. Second, the last time I went to state, I got lost trying to get back into the city to get to the game. Missed the game. I missed the first half of the game. I said, "The hell with this! I'm coming home, going home." And after that, I never requested to go back to state. Mm-hmm. And, and you called state in Virginia and state in West Virginia, right? Uh, I went to West Virginia State twice. Did did several sectionals and regionals in West Virginia, but to this uh, Charleston went twice. You got one of the well, what's that little trophy you got with the gold whistle? You got that for going down the states, right? With the in the prism. Uh huh. Yeah. Tra- yeah, in yeah. Tra- got that for going to state in '97. No, no, it did- I only went in the even years. Um, oh. I think I got it '98 when I got that. I think that sounds right. Because I went in '96 was the last year that they did two person crews. Was my first year in state. Mm-hmm. Then my second time in state, they were had gone to three person crews. I never got to do girls, always boys, but that was my, that's where they wanted me at, and the boys, and never, never got invited to go, I, I would apply, but never got to go do any of the girls' state championship. And the reason I was doing boys is because of the first year that I did state in West Virginia, they were, I was being requested by contract in West Virginia, you can contract officials. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to do games in West Virginia when it was still two person. They wanted me to find a partner and come to their particular high schools and and do games. Right. I said that's too far. I'm not going over here for. And the fees were all set back then. It didn't matter if you was in this in the northern part of West Virginia or the southern part of West Virginia. You got paid the same in the north as you did in the south. But in order to get to the south games, you had to travel. You might be on, you might have to spend a night. And yeah. what they was paying you wasn't going to pay your gas and hotel hotel and all that stuff. Now, they, they mind you now, some of those setups where they would, the coaches, the, you could go to the coach's house for dinner or yada, 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 yada. But the it was just too far. But there are officials in the state of West Virginia who contract games, if they're so fortunate, contract games, and they be on the road all week going from 
one school to the next school and just make a like they they would leave their homes and where the base was up here in the eastern panhandle where the base was they would leave their home on a Sunday go to southern West Virginia call game on Monday night change towns go game on Tuesday night change towns and just work, work their way back but that took a lot of coordination yeah you know to be on the road for a week or two at a time doing basketball games you had a job to go to too oh boy oh, <laughs> did pay better than them basketball games so, I tried my hand at sports when I was throughout throughout my growing up years, so to speak. And I always had a problem when I was in an actual game. I could I could sit there and and shoot the lights out in seventh grade or eighth grade, and play decent defense, be okay in a pickup game. But I would get out on the floor sometimes in an actual game, and I would just go dumb. Like I would think too much. I would I would not let the game come to me. I would trip. I'd make stupid turnovers while I was playing basketball, and I, I don't know what it was. It, like it obviously wasn't any pressure from you because you never was like you was not a sports dad. Where it's like you're gonna go out here and shoot forty five hundred jump shots and you're, then I want you to run sprints up and down dry. You weren't like that. You, you were never like that. You were very you. If I wanted. Your input, you gave it to me. You would play with me. You would advise me, but you never pushed me. And I would just go on that basketball court sometimes to go dumb. <laughs> and you saw it a few times. You witnessed. You witnessed it while you were called the game at, at one point. I think you called a couple of my games. No, I never called your game. You didn't call my game. No, sir. I thought you might have gotten one in, in the tournament in Romney, but no, I think you no, were sir. calling a different game. So, I, I, yeah, because I, I. You said you didn't want to do that. Yeah. Well, that's one of the rules. Oh yeah, that's, that's an official name. You're not supposed to call at your at a former high school if you graduated from there. If you had any kind of you call it Hanley all the time. Only the girls. Ah, oh, true. Only the girls. I never, never, never realized that. I mean, the evolution of women's basketball came about at a time I knew I would never do a varsity game at Hanley. I, I said, I think they, that'd be real silly. Mm-hmm. And, and there are guys who do it, call it their former high school. I said, I wouldn't. Why would you want to put yourself in that? To so even have that one moment where your judgment could lapse to, to your old team. No, I, well, I, judgment lapse. Even if you make the right call, the visiting team is going to, well, he went here. Mm-hmm. Bam. It's, right. it's set off just from that. Well, I I, I would ne- never did a boys game at Han- at Hanley High School. I, only women's, and the only reason I did the women's because the evolution of it when it first started, women's basketball was they would play during football season, mm-hmm. September to November or whatever it was. Yeah. So you you didn't real I didn't really worry about any of that of that side of it, and and I didn't. I didn't have any cousins, nephews, or like that that were playing basketball. But all the parents of the girls, I hung out with the parents of the girls. Mm-hmm. But there was a different evolution between men's and when women's basketball really started. So um, I didn't have any problem with that. With them knowing I went, yeah, I went to Hamlin, but these are women. 
I don't have a daughter out here. I don't have yada, 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 yada. And and there was some, it was a minimum, ooh, ball in the air. Um, there was a minimal protection because everybody out there knew I, that the, uh, stop running, boy, you're out of bounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that the parents and stuff knew, knew that there was just a certain way that I was going to call and. And I called the same way, didn't care if you was the home team, visiting team. And and that's the that's the one thing you got to get through your you, you, you it's not you don't pick sides as an official. Because what one person does, if it looked the same the same as somebody else does, you gotta make the call. You gotta call it. You don't play favoritisms or keep them both, keep everybody safe. That thing is as far as um the mentality of practice and game playing, mm -hmm. they're they're so different because all of a sudden some there's a crowd. You, you, you don't want to disappoint your crowd, your home team or or, or whatever it is. So so you do lose you lose focus as a player on the basketball court. Because I could think I can think of to watch a basketball game nowadays and you say, well why would why wouldn't he do this at that particular instance? You know, it's instinctive. It's our game. You you play the game accordingly. And if you start, as you said, as you if you start thinking about it, you you lose your mental edge. Because you're thinking, there's no longer just play the, play the game as it presents itself. You're thinking, what am I going to do next? Well, the ball's been stolen by then because mm -hmm. you're thinking yep. about it. Mm -hmm. And that, that exactly would describe my ninth grade basketball season. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't play basketball tentatively. Yeah. I, I would shoot the lights out and practice and pick up games, but... Get an actual game. I was because you had the coach. You the coach expected a certain play out of you. Mm -hmm. you. You know, and of course, basketball is a team sport. You can't play can't play any of the sports by yourself except for track and field. Yeah, that's true. And you're still on a team, but you're but that is a one on one situation. Did you ever look at me as a kid and be like, "Yeah, he's not gonna. I don't think he's going to be a sports kid." Did you ever have that moment? No. no. Nobody nobody pressured me into playing football. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a kid, you grew up playing outside. Yes. Yes, I did. I mean, so that you didn't have a choice because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get kicked out of the house. Right. When Saturday morning comes, they say, bye. See you at dinner time. Yep. Go to movies or whatever, whatever it might be. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't a matter of get out of the face because they there wasn't any place you could go that they didn't know where you was at. Everything was back, like I said, back in the day. You pick a telephone up, you knew exactly where your child was. Or if your child came in the neighborhood, hey, guess who? Yeah. It, it talk about the prevent the uh, village. Raising, raising the child. The, the, everybody knew everybody, and it, it was 
you couldn't go anywhere or do anything without being told on or, or being disciplined. It didn't matter where you went in Winchester. If you did something wrong on the south side, mm -hmm. it, you go, they'd punish you on the south side. And when you got home, they'd know what you did on the south side. So you did it again. Right. You know, that village thing, if, if there were more of it, of course, people don't have... Uh, technology has ruined families. Yes. There's no, there's no, there's neighbors, but they're not neighbor neighbors. I mean, we used to be, oh, damn, that was too easy. Um, <sighs> we'd go to school. When I went to Douglas High School, I went there until the sixth or seventh grade when, when integration finally would kick in. Well, if you went to this one, one man's um, class, Mr. Brooks, if you did anything wrong in the whole school, didn't matter if it was in it, they'd send you to Mr. Brooks. And you've seen the paddle. Yes, I have seen the paddle. Mr. Brooks would bury your butt and never beat none of the girls. It wasn't necessary, but he, if he was a boy, he's gonna get, he was going to get paddled. And we're talking old school paddles, swing from left field. Ugh. Yeah. Pull, pull a dag on Aaron Judge on your behind. Mm. And and when you got home, you'd get it again. <laughs> the teacher, they allowed teachers to spank you in, mm -hmm. back in the 60s. And nowadays, if you look at a teacher, if a teacher looks at you wrong, you're going to be disciplined. The teacher's going to be disciplined. They're going to lose their job. Possibly. But it's really that extreme. But yeah. Back then, the principal, if the principal would, could spank you. In fact, if, if you had a woman teacher, damn woman teacher could spank you because they knew your parents. I mean, everybody knew everybody. So I did this to you. And good. <laughs> it, it's, technology is just in that. The rights of human beings and all that kind of thing, it just took discipline out of the picture. Yeah, it really has. So as we watch a little bit of football here on the Sunday afternoon, you are the reason that I'm a Raiders fan, because you were a Raiders fan. How did you become a Raiders fan? I know there were a really winning team when you were coming up, because they, they were formed in 63, I believe. And... They, they were one of the winningest football franchises in the NFL for several years. But what attracted you to the silver and black? Being renegades. Yeah. The pirate mantra. Um, bad boys. And I always like black. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, well, you wouldn't know it. That that might have been the concept, but I just I just liked that silver and black. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I could name players on all the teams, but I knew knew most of them on the the Raiders. Um, and, and the oddity about me picking up on the Raiders is that my brother was a Raider fan before I was, because he he was older, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and I never knew that he was a Raider fan until the month before he passed away. Oh, wow. 
both Raider fans, of course, from a separated family, so to speak, because I was adopted. Mm -hmm. But um, never knew it until a month or so before he passed away. And all all the time, I, I, I knew of him, but we just were in different generational periods, so to speak. But it was just something about the that black and silver crossbone thing, skull, whatever it is. It's a skull. It's a skull. Mm-hmm. I just liked it. Well, I can say the Raiders are my only true sports team that I like from birth without jumping on a bandwagon. Because with the Bulls, they had Jordan. The Red Sox, they end up winning the World Series the year I started following them. I tease with the Indians and the Athletics in the '90s. That's how I ended up with the Red Sox. They they lost that World to the ALCS to the Yankees in '03, and then side start following them, and they end up winning World Series next year. Uh, uh, let me put this little addition on there. Okay. At one time, I had two professional football teams. One, Say it isn't so, Dad. One in the Amer- the American, mm-hmm. one in the National. I was. At one point, a Minnesota Viking, because I like that purple. <laughs> I can live with that. <laughs> I, like, I like Bud Grant. I'd have to live with it regardless, obviously. But I like that uh, purple and... and um, Tarkenton. Tarkenton and uh, Page and... Um, purple People Eaters. Purple, the, the name itself, I, I like. I just like Minnesota. and But I've... I've since then just gone to one team. Mm-hmm. See, you can't have two teams in it. I mean, you can have two teams if you if you're so lucky to have them both meet in a Super Bowl nowadays. But <laughs> back then there was there was no Super Bowl. When did that start? It started in uh, nineteen sixty eight. Back then there was no such thing. You was either the AFC champion or the NFC champion. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. Yeah. My. My friend Jonathan is a Raiders fan and a Browns fan, and we torture him all the time. Uh, I, well, I get tortured as a Raiders fan, you know, with all the years been, we've been been we doing trash. nothing. Yeah, you know, then all last year they get into the playoffs and had and nobody to play with. Down down goes the quarterback, so that ended that. But they were doing quite well, they, and right now this. The thing about football, basketball, and all those things, basketball even more so, you got to be together for for a while. And back in the day when I started watching, those players were on down teams for years and years. Entire careers. They they didn't go nowhere. And nowadays, you could be traded twice in one. That's a base. That's happened to the baseball player. He got mm-hmm. traded from one team. Next day, he was traded again. Yeah. Back in the day, football was football. You was on the team till you bled out. The hell, they did that to Piazza in 2000 when the Dodgers charged, traded him before he ended up in the Mets. He, I think I'm pretty sure they traded him to some other team. And they traded him right around to the Mets. And he played like one game for him. So. Back in the day, football, there was a consistency. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, how do you play five football games with the team, go through training camp with the team, and then five games in, you get traded? Yeah. How are you expected to 
What kind of consistency? What people are mad because um Kelvin Benjamin got traded from the Panthers to the Bills, and people are mad that he's not fantasy people, or mad that he's not playing this weekend. Like he doesn't know the playbook. How are you going to throw him out there and with not knowing the plays and everything, just because you want to get fantasy points? You got to understand, he's still a football player. Has to learn a whole new system. Heard this this morning on one of the sports shows. Guy got traded. Mm-hmm. They give him a playbook. Say, learn these fifteen plays. Learns the plays. Okay, go out on the practice field. Those 15 plays run with the first team. Because they want him to start, but he's only going to know 15 plays. Right. So when, when one of those, a different play comes up, here he comes out of the game. Now, when we were in high school, we played both offense and defense. There, there wasn't a whole lot of people that – was just on the defense and not playing offense. I meant to ask you what position did you play on defense? Safety okay. or, or corner, or whatever you called it then. Yeah. I pretty, I did some damage as a defender, too. I bet you did. Because, you know, everything's coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> it's your responsibility to stop it. But we had, we had good defensive teams and stuff like that. And good defensive teams and stuff like that. So we said... If y'all don't give them online, all we had to do was watch passes, though. But because the way ahead of his time, because of the coaching, way ahead of being way ahead of his time, um, we we were doing blitzes, safety blitzes, and carrying on. Well, the high school, what the hell is this coming? <laughs> there wasn't no safeties coming into the quarterback. Right. There wasn't no defensive lineman dropping off the line to cover receivers. But our team did. Damn. And, and that's a concept. And, of course, it's um, – Commonplace now. Especially, especially positions now. Mm-hmm. You got your cornerbacks and your, you got a wide out and you got a – Wide receiver that's not a wide out, but he's a receiver. Mm-hmm. We toss. It's just amazing how, how everything, of course, and it's going to continue. Everything's going to change and remain the same. Right. And it's small concept. One of my um, favorite Raiders teams, it was actually. Um, not the one that went to the Super Bowl and got drubbed by that guy that we sold to the Buccaneers that year because Al didn't like him anymore. Um, <laughs> it was the 93 Raiders. That was the year we got Hosteller. And we had Tim Brown. Didn't really have a running back that I recall that was like a dominant running back. But that team made it to the second round of the playoffs before they lost to Buffalo in a close game in Buffalo. And that was one of my first memories of as far as like a, a Raiders team I could really follow because I knew who Bo Jackson was. The time I really got into football, Bo was out of football. And Tim had been with the Raiders for years, his whole career up until like the last season or so. And then Hosteller was the first real quarterback the Raiders had because they had uh, – that I remember. Because <laughs> they had, uh, of course, uh, you don't want to – they had Jay Schrader. The year they won like 13 games in 1990, and Marinovich was brought in, and he, he of course, flamed out of the NFL with his various problems. But 
Hosteller was our quarterback up until the Jeff George years in the late nineties, mm. and then and then um, that's when we brought in Gannon, and that's where things went from there. But I I, I definitely bleed silver and black. I've never even thought for a second there there's been flirtations with seventy sixers in basketball and. I don't even have a basketball team. Yeah, I was going. I know you never really had a basketball team. What is it? You see a bug? No, a branch fell out of the tree and right there on the picnic table, almost hit the picnic. Oh, dang. Wait a minute, it landed on the picnic table. Yeah, I see it. Huh? A branch fell out of there. It was a big one, too. I see it. I don't have a baseball team or a basketball team. You you told me you kind of liked athletics at one point. Oh, Oakland. Yeah, 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 that was way back, too. Hey, you've never had a because Herman was a Lakers fan. I remember that, but you've never really had a team. Not a basketball team. You still got that gold Michael Jordan jersey somewhere? The one that they made in the the seventy fifth anniversary season is gold. It had Jordan's number. It was just regular jersey except it was gold. The red numbers. Kellen, no. <laughs> there, there are so many. Pieces of apparel that right. I, that have either been misplaced or wore they either wore out or who knows. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness, it's, I'd hate to, I whoever gets that job. Yeah, I would. I sometimes I hate to think about even going up there and moving stuff around or the bedding to supper. It's just, it's got to be rotten. Yeah. A lot of it is just simply got to be rotten. There's carpeting up there that I know is rotten. And that was when shags were in. Oh, my. Yeah, that it doesn't get cleaned out. Um, where do I want to take it now? So, we moved to West Virginia in 1992. When did you first come to the realization that you were going to be moving to West Virginia? Because I know you and mom got married in 92, in July. The realization? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we have to go back to the starting point was 87. I was four years old. That's when I always remembered it. I would have to say in 87. That's when you met... My mom, step stepmother, mm-hmm. Bonnie Conley, um, and you were always so smitten with her. Did you have a big deal with um issue with moving to West Virginia, or wasn't even no no big deal? Because what when I made of course when you brought me, it was a big deal. It was always made about oh you're moving from the city to the country. It's gonna be such a big difference for you. And I was only nine at the time though, so I hadn't really had too much of a city life that I had recollection of. So moving up here wasn't that big of a deal for me, honestly, as as some people made it out to be. You know, the main reason, that, or I won't say the main reason, mm-hmm. Bonnie was a reason, and the second one was, I didn't want you to grow up in Winchester. I thought it was too, I thought it was just too much trouble that you could possibly, as you aged, that you would get into in Winchester. And on in hindsight, I 
think I made the right decision. I think you made the right decision too. Because you 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 didn't get caught up in into anything that might have occurred at that time period in the city of Winchester. Right. As you grew up, you you didn't have to worry about that. It was everything was laid back and calm. Yes, it was. And that was a that became. You 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 already understand part of that being laid back and covered up, so to speak, maintaining your your own business. Mm-hmm. So I there was just so much going on, a lot of different things going on in Winchester that could have gotten caught up in, or I could have gotten caught up in, or or whatever it was. And I said, I, I actually wanted to move out of Winchester, but I. I never thought it would be to come west. Mm-hmm. I always thought I'd end up in Burrville or Martinsburg. Stephen City. Or even Stephen City. I thought those possibilities. But at that time, they were smaller than Winchester. Right. I mean, and and quiet. I mean, absolutely, Stephen City, Burrville, all those places, nothing but, nothing but country. Mm-hmm. That's all that is down there, country. Right. Winchester was, at that time, the main hub. That was the big city. It amazed me when people were in Front Royal, Burrell, um, the smaller towns, Stephen City, those country people, they lived in the country, but they would always talk about going to the country when they went, went away. And going away to the country to them was either Winchester or D.C. Mm-hmm. Those were the country to wow. them. Even though they lived in the country, right. they they didn't consider themselves in the country till they went came to the city of Winchester or the city of, of D.C., Fairfax, surrounding. Alexandria, yeah. That was country to, to those folks growing up. Huh. That, that amazed me how that... Thought Winchester with the country. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a little crazy. Winchester was a big city to me when I was a kid. And that was huge. It's not a major city, but still, it's really expanded it, it, in a small space, so to speak. It went, it went from being, it's now a suburb of D.C., so to speak. Oh, damn. I mean, they call, uh, what do they call these outer parts, suburbs? Uh, Suburbans? Area, yeah, it's now suburban. Oh, anything that's within uh, I, there's a mileage thing on it. anything within 75 miles, 75 miles of DC, you're, you're in the suburbs because <laughs> wow. if they drop the bomb in DC, mm-hmm. the suburbs gonna get it. And that's I think their radius at like 70, 70 or 75 miles because <laughs> it, it would make contact, right, in some degree. Mm-hmm. Get some kind of so, fallout for sure. Oh Lord, do that one away. So, then we moved to the country. I grew up. <laughs> I graduated from Amsterdam. And at that time too, the a reason for moving was the school systems. We knew the teachers. Yeah, we knew the teachers and and the people. Nothing like it is today that is falling apart. Yeah. The educational system in West Virginia, Hampshire County, 
just went from one high to complete nothing. Yeah. Because it got taken over by the um, state, I believe, is what happened a few years ago because it was getting so bad. One last question, and then two last questions, and then we can go wrap this up. And I mentioned this to you yesterday. Whether it be personal or it be from you watching or attending a sporting event, what would you say is one of your greatest sports memories? One of my greatest sports memories that I was officiating at Charleston at the state tournament. And I had this thing that I had to be in position for everything. Well, I was making my first appearance at the state tournament, and they were amazed and this, that I could run faster backwards and make the same cuts that a player coming at me would have with the basketball. I would be running backwards, and they continuously, the, the, the man in charge of the officials, Kept telling me, said, you can't run backwards. You can't run backwards. I said, yes, I can. Yes, I can. And they were so amazed that I continuously called my first state championship game running backwards the whole time. Mm-hmm. Or, or when it was, t- you know, I, I would never turn my back on a basketball play. That was my my biggest joy of any event. Was that, and of course, and I, I had that's the way I appreciate appreciate it. I wouldn't turn my back or turn, period, on 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 any plays. Didn't matter if it was a state tournament or where it was. I wouldn't turn. I wouldn't make that move to turn, to run down the court, in the right manner. Mm-hmm. I would simply backpedal, and I. Uh, that in fact, not just the state tournament. That that was my whole thing, was running backwards, and and keeping up with the kids. And I'd be running back. I say, are you getting? I'd tell them, are you getting tired? <laughs> <laughs> and and I'd be running back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and stuff. And a fast break would happen. I'd take off to get go down the floor. You know, if it's in normal position, I'd take off to run down the floor. And I pass players, and I said, "Come on, man, what's wrong with you? Can't you keep up with the plays?" And I think the kids enjoyed that because I I would fun with them during the game. Yeah, so it's supposed to be fun. So if you're gonna do your job, hustle. Let's get down the floor. <laughs> and and I think they just uh, I know, and uh, many of them to this day. I was here. I am sitting in, ooh, sitting in um, Applebee's. And people walk up to me, and and this one kid did this one day. I was sitting at the bar, and I think I was having a little bit of something neat that day, along with my cocktail. Mm-hmm. He walked up, he went. <laughs> I looked up, I said, you know me? He said, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, that was the blocking signal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that just, so I know there are several out there somewhere that I had some small inkling in them becoming whatever they are today or just having a thought of that 
that it was some enjoyment to it. Because if they can remember, and I didn't use all correct signals, because I was going, it's going to be fun to me, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fun. I could convey, because I, I know the reason I started, they eventually went to this, but this was the signal for a block. Well, yeah, nice, yeah. Nah, that ain't getting it. That ain't mm-hmm. getting it. That ain't getting it. So I, I, I just, I started doing this before they made in the real, the real call, the, 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 the actual uh, mechanics that yeah. do the call, and they, and they'd all see it. I'd snap it down, bring it back up. Yeah, you definitely uh, had uh, some flourish, had it, some had, flourish on those moves yeah, on the court. Yeah, yes, I, yes, indeed, because uh, the high step. <laughs> Go another way. Oh yeah, they, when I did, when I started to try to protect my body, I started going on a wheel. Mm-hmm. What I call it is, if that play started here, I'm I'm in the air and gone and turning all at the same time. And and a lot of, a, a lot of people was made mention of that fact that. You don't just turn around, do you? I say, nope, I jump around. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. If I'm going to get going, I'm going to be in there and pointing in the right direction. So I jump around instead of using pivoting on my hips and legs and stuff. I just I would just jump around, make that little hop. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I get in there, I'd turn, come down in stride and be booking. So we, we've had talked about a lot of different things today. And again, I appreciate you doing this with me, Dad. Last question. What would be one of your biggest takeaways from being my father? What is one of the biggest things that you've learned from being a dad, especially being my dad? It ain't easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I can attest to that. Now I'm only three years in. Um, there's such a mental development within a person becoming a parent. The the mental there is so much mentally to it. There's the physical physical stuff that has to take care of itself. It's only logic that you're gonna poop and cry and do things like that. But the challenge is, the biggest challenge or takeaway I'm going to say is getting you from point A to a continuation. Point A was the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, there will, until we all end our tours, there's always a continuation because the Mar will come whether you want it to or not. I don't know how else I could break that down as far as mentally. It, it has nothing to do with mental, actually. From day one, the worry starts, and it, it, there's worry for the rest of the continuation. That's, that's good. <laughs> that's the best I can do on that one. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for thanks for doing the show with me again. I just said that. I wouldn't say it again. Um You've taught me many things over the years, whether that be how to be a, a blurred, a black nerd, so to speak, 
<laughs> yes, you're a black nerd, Dad. It's okay. You're blurred. Blurs are cool. <laughs> Whether that be a love of sports, which still we share together today, and obviously I carry in my own life. And just just one of the biggest takeaways I've taken from you, Dad, especially I realized this once I left home, <laughs> was just the way that you conduct yourself with people. And I always thought that anybody had an interaction with you always got a genuine interaction. I never felt like whether you planned to or not, whether you had just been screaming at me for 20 minutes or whether you were having a bad day, a great day did not matter. Back hurt, knee hurt. When that person came up to you or whoever you're interacting with, whether it was a kid on the basketball court or something at work, you always gave them a genuine interaction and you were always left a lasting impression on people just with the way you carried yourself and your demeanor. I try to do that as well in my own life now. So you, you've just always been genuine people and you've always have left them with the impression of you just being a great person, whether it be for five minutes or five years that they've known you. And that's something that I've always wanted to convey and something I've always wanted to teach Aaliyah. And you can yawn all you want to. <laughs> that was not a yawn. Um, I, something just database went off. Okay, it's talking about um, accomplishments or what was my one of my greatest uh, sports memories. Sports memories mm-hmm. is having having had mentored two different women into a basketball officiating. And both of those women participating in state tournament games. Susan? Susan and Biz. Biz Kearns. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 obviously, it's, been, it's in there because I remember it in the <laughs> database. But I, that, I, that, I would have to say, even on the smallest scale that it is, high school basketball, but I had both of them. So I, I officiated Susan's games when she was at Shenandoah. Did not know who she was. Right. And then she became an official. Mentored her in her first couple games as an official because I had to tell a coach to get off her back. <laughs> um, Biz had her in her first couple of games as a, a high school official. Uh, and both of them end up doing state tournament games in the state of Virginia. And Susan in West Virginia is where she did her state tournament game. Yeah. And I, nom- I, they asked me who who they who should go to state tournament game one year, and I told them Susan. And they asked me, said, "Do you think she's ready?" I said, "I wouldn't be bringing up her name if I didn't." Right. And she got to go to state tournament with Scott and um, Blankenship. I know that wasn't her first year in West Virginia, but we'd been on the floor enough that they knew I had confidence in her. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't it, I wasn't asked about business because hers was in Virginia. But if I, I think about that sometimes, even though it's only two, I say I, I know I've influenced others because guys, guys who are just coming into officiating have uh, asked me to mentor them, so to speak. I thought I had a student this year, but she backed out, and I said, oh, that would have been three. But she 
she's not in the right mentality for basketball right right now because mm-hmm. you have there has when when I explained to this new girl that there it is time consuming. I mean, you have to go to meetings, yeah. um, and gonna be on the road, you know, and, and away. And so you, it's mental. It's not the best paying now. It is. When I did my first high school game, it was seven fifteen dollars, and now you're getting seventy five, eighty dollars game with three people. <laughs> my first, my first high school game, uh, uh, Lee's, Percival, Loudon Valley, Randolph Martin, fifteen dollars, and that that was for food and gas. Fifteen dollars to call the game. Mm. And and now now three people said, "Boy, if these if these youngsters only knew all that I sacrificed for them." <laughs> it's it's amazing when I think about it. At what what's being paid now, and, and what I first made in seventy four, three, two, no, no C and P, seventy four. Um. 74 when I joined the organ of the MBOA mm-hmm. is when I finally joined and registered. When I registered, that's the correct terminology. When I registered in 74, because then, then I didn't, I got, I became a West Virginia official in 1978 or 9. Here's when the doors really started because we did not call the same basketball in Virginia that they did in West Virginia, but I called the same, didn't care. They, they had a certain kind of style over in Martinsburg. The officials yeah. were no blood, no foul. Oh. I mean, it, some they had rough games over there. Dang. I mean, they'd still make it through seasons and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But so how can you... All right, that's not the way it should be. No, no blood, no foul. My foul's foul. Whether draw, ain't supposed to draw blood. Ew. <laughs> you know, right? That, that's one of what amazed me. But one of the most significant things is those two ladies that I mentored through to get the state championship games as officials. That's awesome. I didn't know that Susan made it down state. I don't think you ever told me that. Oh, she that's not surprising, considering I've seen Susan in action too. She became a collegiate official. I knew that. Yes, so I guess that would make sense that somewhere along the way she got to get out of states. Mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna wrap it up. So we're gonna end this episode like my dad, Everly Creator, has signed off of his conversations for several many moons now. He always says check, and then you're supposed to say recheck or check back so that's how we're going to end this thanks for listening hyphenation this has been my father daniel conley world's greatest dad (laughs) i wouldn't want that trophy but check (laughs) and until next time check and there you have it That was my father, ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Conley, once again. Thanks, Dad, for doing the episode. It means the world to me to have this. 
forever for forever and for that to be out there that people can listen to this and and hear your stories which I always found fascinating and it's always good to have one of your heroes on the show like one of my heroes on the show you know because it's like you have like a bucket list of oh people I get on the show Jay-Z Elliot Wilson Kevin Smith <laughs> you know no no big deal but did uh to get get dad on there on here is awesome so I'm really glad that we got this episode done if you enjoy hyphenation the world's greatest podcast you can find us on iTunes please rate and comment and subscribe and share all those things the more you do that the more exposure the podcast gets you also find hyphenation for all you Android users on Google Play Music it's all right there hyphenation go go cop that Uh, also on Stitcher also on TuneIn, the TuneIn app. Also on Pocket Cast. Or uh, if you go to... Well, I'm in the middle of rearranging things again. But the RSS feed uh, for the show is uh, feeds.feedburner.com slash hyphenation2016, I believe. That's probably completely wrong. I'm planning on having a dedicated spot for the RSS feed again. Uh, right now... If you get the RSS feed and put it into your favorite podcast listening device, you'll get all 39 episodes of FIRE! Yeah. Because that's how we do it. Uh, you can email me at b at gmail.com. Tweet me at b hyphen, B-H-Y-P-H-E-N. Change the Facebook around a little bit. It's now facebook.com slash hyphen universe. Same as the YouTube channel. So... Much easier than resilient redundancies of Kellen Conley. Now it's just hyphen universe, H Y P H E N U N I V E R S E. Um, and and that and that's really all the pertinent social means. The the B hyphen on Twitter. Of course, you can find all the episodes on hyphen podcast group hyphen podcast group hyphen wordpress whoops hyphen podcast group dot com coming very soon and that's it guys so uh talk to you hug your hug your loved ones man send them an email send them a letter send them a postcard uh don't but don't put up with no bullshit and if you got to you got to remove toxicity from your life no matter how much you try but you can't let people disrespect you or your loved ones. And sometimes you just got to draw the line in the sand. That's just what it is. Um, Just saying. Be good to yourself. Be good to each other. As my man Jerry always said. Shout out to Bonnie Conley. I love you. Shout out to Barbara Walker, I love you too, and I miss you both dearly. And we rolling, man. Next episode's 40. I gotta go to work. I'll talk to you later. Till next time. Thanks, y'all.